How's everybody doing? It's great to see you. It's great to see you. I have learned a few things over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and one of them is that people don't expect a lot from dads. I don't know if you've noticed that. If you're a dad, you know what I'm saying. Uh, and if we, whenever dads do something, it's kind of a shock. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, but, you know, it, it's true. A couple weeks ago, my wife was sick. I, I think I told you about that in the past. Like our whole family got sick. But when my wife was sick, I had to take care of all three of my kids for like three days. That was like the longest three days of my life. Uh, and, you know, so on, it was uh, like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday that everybody was sick. And so on Saturday, I decided to take the kids to Chick-fil-A for lunch so that my wife could get some rest. And, and let me tell you something a little bit about taking three children uh, whose ages are six, four, and 18 months uh, to eat a meal. Not like we're trying to get them to apply for college. We're trying to get them to eat a meal. Uh, I've done a few things in my life, you know, uh, you know, I've planted a church, I've written seven books, I've uh, started two companies, uh, but taking three kids to Chick-fil-A may be the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, because, you know, just because to, to get three kids to eat their food and not harm themselves in the process is like a minor miracle. Uh, you know, like I was trying, so we're sitting, right? And so I'm sitting, um, it's like a little four top table. So I'm sitting on the inside. I've got Olivia next to me. <clears throat> Mia is across from her, who is, uh, Olivia's 18 months. Across from her is, is Mia, who's six. And then next to Mia, or across from me, is Xander, who will, is turning four tomorrow. So, right? So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll give you the number to his college fund. You can express your gratitude in that way. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, he, uh, so, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm turned because I'm cutting up some food for Olivia because she has like this little chair that she sits in that she likes and it's got like a little tray and whatever. So I'm cutting up some chicken so she can eat it. And then Xander says to me, he says, hey, dad. And I'm like, yeah, he says, look at me. I look and Xander has taken his shirt off. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, ah, I don't know. I just thought I could do it. I'm like, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Can you please put your shirt back on? So while I'm having that conversation with Xander to put his shirt back on, and I say, now he's having trouble putting it back. Like, how, which, way, which way does the head go again? You know? Uh, and then as I'm doing that, I turn, and Olivia's like this with the food, dropping it all on the floor. It's like, yeah, hey, it's like $17 in chicken, Missy. And so it's like, well, now your food's on the floor. Eat it. And uh, so no, we only do that at home. Um, and, uh, and then... As I'm saying that to, to, uh, to Olivia to stop doing that, I look over and Mia's just eating her chick, eating Olivia's chicken, watching it. Because by this whole time, Olivia's already, uh, Mia's already eaten all of her food. Now she's eating everybody else's food. They're like, can you just stop for a minute? Just drink something or just count? I don't know. Do something while I figure this thing out. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, which was the part that was amazing, is that, um, well, then to make matters worse... Um, <laughs> just kind of the icing on the cake, if you want to call it that, um, is that we finally get everybody to eat. And then Olivia starts looking at me funny. And I'm like, are you okay? And then the smell. And I'm like, you didn't. And she goes, no, you didn't. And I said, I really wish you hadn't done that. Because I didn't bring a diaper bag. 
So, because I'm not used to this, okay? And, uh, but I'll tell you this, people saw me with three kids. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm watching like uh, moms there, like couples that are there, grandparents that are there. And they're all looking like, look at that guy. He's a saint. And, and, and then some people like, is that a dad with three kids? Is he from the future? Uh, like people were freaking out, you know, and because people see a mom with three kids and it's like, oh yeah, you know, it's business as usual. They see a dad with three kids and they think that someone's been injured. Like, is your wife still alive? Is she okay? Is she hurt? Well, she's just sick. Oh, you're, you know, I'm t- it, it is the funny, it is the weirdest thing, you know, uh, but here's the deal, right? Is that, um, I don't know why, if you, maybe you've noticed this, but kind of the, the role of a dad gets downplayed, you know, or it's very underrated in our culture. And the reason why I, I bring all that up is because I think not only as, as dads, especially as dads, but as parents, um, the view that our kids have of us is the view that our kids will have of God. And whether you realize that or not, if your kids see you as a tyrant, uh, they will view God the same way. Uh, if, if you aren't around, then they're going to view God that way, that, he's just, that God is just not, not really around. He's not someone that, that they can count on. And, but at the same time, dad, if you are a man of God, if you are a dad who is strong and loving, who is wise and kind, uh, they will view God in that way as well. So what I want to do is in this message is I want to talk to parents, but in kind of a different way, because I think one of the things that we I want to talk to parents is in the way that um, we parent our kids is I want to look at it in the way that God is parenting us. And maybe you haven't really thought about it that way. And you think, well, no, I'm parenting my kids. But listen, God is parenting you. Um, How is God parenting us? In fact, the way that he's parenting us is that God is actually, one of the ways that God has revealed himself to us is in this very specific way. Where, uh, and it's actually not even, in that that culture, it was in a very, uh, you know, in a way that you kind of wouldn't expect for God to reveal himself to us. Well, let me say it this way. In in Israel, years ago, in in the ancient culture, uh, there was a job that nobody wanted. Okay, this is a job that always fell to like whoever the youngest child was um, in, you know, whatever, you know, you had like six boys, five boys, however many kids you had. The youngest one always got this. And, you know, at your house, you probably have chores. There's like always like a, the one rotten job that nobody wants. And whoever's youngest, it probably falls to them. That's just kind of the way the social order works. Um, but, you know, so when you think about kind of the chores on the get to do list, it falls there to the bottom. And in Israel, there was a job like that. It was called being a shepherd. And see, now, being a shepherd looks really nice in pictures. And don't you want to snuggle up with that sheep? But see, that sheep isn't a plush sheep. It's like a real sheep. And it kind of smells like a sheep. And it's been outside, you know, so it's all earthy. Uh, you know, if you're not, I'm not like much of a, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm what people like to call indoorsy. Uh, but anyway, but the pictures don't really convey the conditions that shepherds lived in. Uh, in fact, because of what shepherds did, which was live with sheep, lead their sheep, protect their sheep, uh, you know, smell like sheep, wander around the countryside with sheep. Very few people wanted to be uh, a shepherd. King David was a shepherd, but not because he wanted to be. 
It's because he had seven older brothers. And it's kind of like all passed down. And then there was like that, that seventh brother who was the shepherd. And then David was born. And he was like, yes, I am passing this nasty job on to the little guy. And that's what happened. And see, but God reveals himself to us as a shepherd. And it's amazing to me that God would do that. But I want you to think about this, that shepherds weren't even allowed in the temple in, in ancient times because the priest said that they were ritually unclean. Shepherds were looked down upon in society in that day. They were seen as the bottom of the social ladder. In fact, when Joseph and his family, if you're a Bible student, when they went to uh, Egypt in Genesis 46, when there was a famine and Joseph moved his whole family to Egypt, he told his family, tell Pharaoh that you are shepherds. So that you'll be able to go to a certain land, you know, and you'll kind of have your own area to go in. And listen to what it says. I put it in your notes. He says, when Pharaoh calls you in and says, what is your occupation? You should, say, you should answer, your servants have tended livestock from boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to set in this, uh, settle in the region of Goshen, for all the shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. But see, when God wants to reveal himself to his people, he reveals himself... As a shepherd, as someone who walks with and dwells among his people. Now, we started a series last week that we are calling Songs of the Kingdom. And what we're doing over these few weeks is that we're looking at different psalms every week. And the question that we've been asking is, what does the song of your life say? What, does the song, what do you want the song of your life to be? Because whether you realize it or not, your life is a song. It just depends on if it's a good song or bad song. Um, And so, you know, is it this really exciting pop song, you know, where things are going well? Or is it more like a country song where everything is bad? You know, you ever remember, like, I don't know if you remember records, but, you know, that's another story altogether. You know, people would, like, spin records backwards because they have, like, hidden messages. You know, people have done that with country music. They've spun the records backwards. And then you, you get like your wife, your dog, your house, and your truck back when you, right when you spin it backwards. And um, so, just so you know. Um, and so, but now, here, here's, here's what our hope is, right? Is that when people come into contact with us, that they would experience the song that God is writing in and through our lives. That our walk with God would produce the kind of blessed life that others would look on and say, that's the kind of life that I want to live. And so we're going to look at this incredible song that was written by King David. No doubt reflecting on the fact that he was once a shepherd. And so he's reflecting on this and realizing that while he has been a shepherd, God has been a shepherd to him. And so we're going to look at probably what is the most famous psalm Uh, In all of the Bible, which is Psalm 23. So I'd invite you to open there if you would. If you have your Bible or your iPad or some other lesser device. um, If you could open uh, to that. And now, what makes this psalm so famous? And why is it that we connect to this psalm? And people throughout the ages, you know, we're talking about now almost 3,000 years. People have been connecting to Psalm 23. Why is that? It's because the psalm. It's about trusting God. It's about walking with God. It's about following God even in the midst of dark seasons. That there are moments that are dark and depressing and there are those valley moments of life. That, listen, that we can connect to that. Listen, even the, the, some of the, your favorite songs, my guess is your favorite, the only songs that you like aren't just songs that are happy. But there are songs that talk about 
going through a difficult season and maybe coming out the other side. You know, maybe some of you, it's like, that's like you're, uh, you're a big fan of like Gloria Gaynor, I will survive, right? And that's kind of your moment, you know? And as long as you know how to live, you know I'm still alive. And uh, so <laughs> I'm going to stop there. And it's sad I know all the words to it. But I grew up with a mom who loves disco. And uh, so, but listen, whether you're a Christian or not, most people have some connection to, to the psalm. Because it's that you want your life to, to reflect that. All of us, when we think about the song that we want to sing, that we want our lives to reflect a life that's courageous, a life that's free of worry, a life that's blessed, a, a life that where we just see amazing things happen, that we come through a difficult season and we come out on the other side triumphant. So uh, Psalm 23, we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things that I want to show you in uh, walking with God and following God and how God is parenting us. The first is this, these three declarations. It's number one is that I will step out regardless of my feelings. I will step out regardless of my feelings. Listen, if you are a Christian, then God is your shepherd. That he promises to meet your needs because that's what a shepherd does. The Bible would say it this way um, in Psalm 100. It says, acknowledge that, that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but if the Bible likens God to a shepherd, then it's likening us to sheep. Now, and I want you to really understand this because it's not necessarily a compliment, okay? God, the Bible does not liken us to lions, the king of the jungle, right? It does not liken us to snakes who are sneaky and crafty. It does not liken us to eagles who have incredible vision. It likens us to sheep who are known for being incredibly stupid. My apologies up front. All right? Now, you say, well, why is that? Listen, sheep have this propensity for just getting themselves into trouble and doing things that are really dumb. You know, I mean, if a, if a sheep, uh, if one sheep, you know, there's a bunch of them, if one sheep goes off a cliff, you know what the others do? They say, hey, that looks like fun. And they all start going off the cliff because they don't think like, hey, it didn't work out for that guy. They don't think that. They're just like, hey, well, if he's doing it, I'm doing it too. And, and they just, because they just, if a, if a sheep can't find the door, right, here's what he does. It's like, hey, I can't find the door to get out of this sheepfold. Here's what he does. They start smashing their head up against the wall. And to the point where, and listen, this is a, there's some great books written on um, on being, uh, being a shepherd, and there's a guy named Philip Keller who wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, and it's a, it's a wonderful book. came out, I don't know, about 40, 50 years ago. And uh, one of the things that he talks about in that book is he talks about his life, um, not only as a Christian, but his life as a shepherd. And what he talks about is this whole idea of a, when, when a sheep, uh, you know, when, when these guys can't find the door, they just start smashing their head against the wall to the point where they will not stop until they're bleeding. And, and a shepherd has to actually pick them up and, and, and hold them till they calm down and actually move them. Because if they don't, they will actually continue to hurt themselves. This shepherd has to actually stop them and start leading them in the right direction. And you might be thinking, well, that's not me at all. 
think again, bad boy. So, all right. Because think about this. If you can, right? If you ever made the same mistake over and over and over again, well, you know, kind of. Uh, you know, here's how it works. Is that, you know, you're, you're fed up and you say, that's it. And then you break up with him. And then he comes back and he gives you some story and then you take him back. And you're like, you broke up with him because he's a bum. And then, but he came back and he's like, well, you know, it's going to be better this time. And then nothing changes and he's still a bum. And then you break up with him again. And then he sends you a really nice text because you know someone loves you when they take time to like do this for eight seconds. Um, And then, you know, and it's like, baby, I've changed. You know, we broke up 45 minutes ago. Uh, But no, I'm really, I'm going to change. And you don't wait. You don't wait for him to actually change to take him back. You just take him back on the promise that he's going to change, even though he didn't do it the first four times, but then you take him back and you know what happens the fifth time? He's still a bum. And it's like, no, I've never bashed my head against the wall. Maybe not physically, but but we do it, right? And we have like this sheep-like behavior, right? And guys, Bishop, just because I don't want you to feel left out, um, right? I, I, I'm telling you, I talk to guys all the time and they're like, well, you know, they, they take dating advice from like the worst people. Like, you know, it's like, well, you know, so they're, they're taking dating or marriage advice uh, from, from these people. That, like, you know, so they'll say, well, this is what I'm doing. And I'm like, who told you to do that? And, and they're like, well, you know, I have a friend. I've got a lot of experience. Uh, okay. And what, tell me a little bit about this. Well, you know, I mean, this guy, is, he knows a lot about marriage. He's been married six times. <laughs> Listen. Talk to that guy if you need a lawyer. You don't want to talk to that guy about being married, okay? Because that guy doesn't know anything. And, and listen, so the, the whole point is, is that, listen, we can just kind of beat our head against the wall. We can just go off the cliff one after the other. It didn't work out for him, but I'm going to do the exact same thing because that will probably bring a different result. And what will happen is, listen, instead of letting other people lead you, here's what David is saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I want him to be the one who leads me. And here's where he leads us. He leads us in the fact that he says, I shall not want that there's actually provision in my life, but that he leads me beside, he takes me to, he makes me to lie down with the green pastures. Now, here's what you need to understand. When you think of green pastures, I don't want you to think of like Central Park. It's like acres and acres of, 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 you know, green grass, you know, like, I don't want you to think about like a baseball field, you know. Uh, Let me show you a picture of green pastures in, in the Middle East. Here we go. That's a green pasture in, in the Middle East. I mean, th- remember, this is very rocky desert terrain. And so here's what will happen. When he says he'll make me lie down in green pastures, this will be an area that he has scoped out, that he has scouted out, that actually has little sprouts of grass coming through. So I don't know about you, but this actually looks like a pile of garbage. And, uh, and once again, having spent a little bit of time in Israel, um, you just go there and you'll see that so many of these areas are built on kind of these little, you know, because there's so many hills and uh, mountains and stuff, they'll actually build these almost, um, they'll build those, these little landings onto the sides of these, these hills. And so what shepherds will do is that they will find some of these landings that have little pieces, uh, you know, little bits of, of grass and vegetation growing. And so then he will bring them to this, he'll make them lie down, and then that's where they will, that's where they'll eat. It's this, it's this Middle Eastern pasture. But see, what the picture is, of this shepherd who provides even when things seem impossible. 
And that's the picture that God wants us to have of him. He wants to lead us to quiet waters. Now, let me show you a Middle Eastern uh, quiet uh, body of water. Now, don't think of like this ocean or a river. I remember when I went to Israel and we were going to go to the Jordan River. And I remember, you know, and I'm thinking like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. We were doing a baptism in the Jordan River and I was, we were baptizing a whole bunch of people. And uh, I was very excited about that. And then I got to, to the Jordan River. Now, I've been to the Mississippi River. That's impressive. I went to the Jordan River. And I'm like, okay, I've seen the puddle. Where's the river? And I mean, because it's like, I could almost jump across the Jordan River because uh, it wasn't all that big. And, and they're, you know, this, this, is, this is it. And I'm like, oh, this is, must be like, you know, kind of like where it ends. Like, oh, it's kind of like the heart of it. And I'm thinking, like, are you serious? This is not, the, once again, this is, you're in the, this is the desert. So this is, this is a flowing river when most of the region has absolutely no water. And so what he does is, so don't think of this huge river or something like that. You've got to think of basically this parking lot right out here. There's like these little puddles out there. That's essentially, that's, you know, for something like that to have, this is like an ocean out there, you know, uh, in, in the Middle East. But what a shepherd does is that he finds these little puddles these little pockets of water where they would go once again one of the things about sheep is that they are very easily startled and because they're very easily startled you have to take them to waters that are quiet if you take them to waters that are that have a lot of movement and activity they will run away and you will lose them so you've got to take them to waters that are quiet and see i don't know if you realize this but we actually use that like we use terminology like that that turbulent waters are never a good thing, right? Uh, we don't talk about someone, you know, I'm just smooth sailing in debt. No, you talk about drowning in debt. You talk about your career being washed up. You talk about relationships being rocky rather than smooth sailing. And that's the reality that happens uh, in our lives is that a lot of times we will freak out over the fact that God is calling us to step out and to follow his lead because we only see the step and we don't see the destination as to where it is that God is taking us. Now, let me tell you, this, this is so important. Because there's a reason that something in life is called a step. You know why it's called a step? Because it's temporary. A step is not permanent. A step is what, is what you're doing to get to where it is that you're ultimately going. And so when he says he's leading us to quiet waters, what happens when we don't actually see the quiet waters? What happens when, when we don't see where it is, the green pasture? I don't see it. So if I don't see it, why am I going to take this step that actually scares me a bit? You see, and a lot of times, we don't want to move. We say, God, you're my shepherd, but I don't want to go where it is that you're leading me to go. Well, if that's the case, and here's what we have to realize, that we're actually saying, God, we're relieving you of command when it comes to being the shepherd, and we've decided to be our own shepherd. Let me tell you what you don't want to do in your life is be your own shepherd. Okay, that's like being your own lawyer. All right, it just it does, doesn't work out. Let me tell you, um, yeah, I, I'm going to guess, right, um, that most of the bad decisions that we've made in life have come because, not because, man, it worked out so horribly. I listened to God and then my whole life was ruined. All right, nobody has that story. It's always, I knew what God told me to do and then I did this other thing and then the, everything exploded. You know, uh, that's just the, the way it is. Now, let me tell you one of the bad decisions I've made because I have so many to choose from. Um, now, I, I keep this in my office. And uh, if you've been around Calvary for a while, I break this out every couple of years just so that you say, I wonder if Pastor Bob thinks he's done idiotic things. Like, you know, I know I've done idiotic things. Um, you know, I don't know if you know what this is, but this is actually a laser disc. 
um, of the, obviously, uh, Star Wars Episode Four, uh, which is the first laser disc that I had bought because, you know, come on. Um, and so when I, I remember I was with a friend of mine and uh, we were at Brands Mart and uh, because first, that was first bad decision uh, going to Brands Mart. Um, whenever you have to go, you have, when you ever have to do like five things to buy something, like, first of all, write this number down on a scrap of paper, then go see this other guy. He'll put it in the computer, then go pay for it, then go around to this dock on the back. Like, what, who, who created this customer service thing? You know, everybody has been there. Maybe I'm the only guy who goes there, but it's like, they've got this, you know, you got to go to this dock. It's like, dude, I'm not picking up pallets. You know, I bought a DVD, you know? Uh, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> so what happens is, is that we go to Brands Mart, me and a buddy of mine. And, um, so he, uh, we're looking at the laser disc players because they had just come out, right? Because we're all like still using VHS and they're like, what kind of an idiot wants to use VHS when there's good technology like a laser disc? Now, let me tell you how laser discs work because I know most of you have never seen that. Like, does that fit in my iPod touch? No, it doesn't. It, you, in fact, you don't even want to touch this. Um, now, here's how it works. Now, this is the compactness of the disc. And what you do is, is that you would actually put this disc in to your player Boom. And then, you know, you start watching it, right? And then before these people even get to the Death Star, it stops. And then it says, please turn Laserdisc over. (laughs) Then you pop that baby back in. Then you get another 30 minutes and then Obi-Wan Kenobi disappears and he turns into Casper the Friendly Ghost. And then it stops. Please insert second disc. And then you go this and then you know what we were saying, me and my buddy, when we were just, we were like, this is so much better than a VHS. Right? And then it's like we had spent all this money because it wasn't just the Laserdisc uh, player. You had to actually, we had to get like a receiver because it didn't just plug straight into the TV. So we had to get a receiver and then with the receiver, we had to buy speakers. So then we bought speakers to go to the receiver, to go to the Laserdisc player that goes into the TV. And then once we did all of that, we found out that the Laserdiscs are like 55 bucks a piece. And then we're like, well, you know, then you got to at least watch, buy one, like two movies. So then I bought, um, I bought Star Wars and uh, I think it was Close Encounters uh, just because I like when people make things out of mashed potatoes. Uh, this means something. And uh, for, for the eight people that have seen that movie. Um, so anyway... But now then, but the thing is, is that I was engaged when I bought this and I didn't tell Carrie that I bought this and uh, I thought it would be a surprise and it was, it was, it just wasn't a good surprise. Uh, And so we, and, and it was like now, and now here's the thing is that Someone says to me, so I buy the laser display and I had heard rumor of this thing that they were actually going to make movies. They were going to make movies uh, um, on discs that were the size of compact discs. And I said, that's never going to happen. You know, somebody's going to bring their spaceship, you know, they're going to bring it to, that's too far in the future. It's like the hoverboard from back to the future. You know, it's like, we're still all waiting for that, you know. But it ain't here. And so what happens is, is that you buy the Laserdisc player, and then six months later, you know what happens? Everybody's got DVDs. And you're the guy with the giant Frisbee movies. And then, and, and, and you know what? Um, now, 
Now, now check it out. And, and I'm thinking, like, why didn't I listen? Because every person that I knew, except my friend Jason, and I say his name because he listens to these messages online, and so I just say it just to call him out on this. Um, so that's, this, this part isn't really for you. It's just for him. Uh, but here's the thing, is that we were trying to, like, talk each other into it, like, this is a good idea, right? Yeah, 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 it's good. Good for you to buy one. No, 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 but for me, too. yeah, 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 it's good, it's good. Anyway, so we're, like, talking each other into doing this, and then we do it, and then the, 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 the uh, DVD comes out, and we're like, dude, why did you make me do that? To this day, he still says I talked him into it, which is a lie. He talked me into it, and I, that's why I'm like, you should pay for some of mine. Anyway, um, and so, uh, but what happens is, is that, like, you know, but let's, you, uh, but you think about that. Here's what happens. All of this is like, well, I, I just, I didn't, every person in my life was telling me not to do this. This is a bad decision, right? Like the voice of God was coming through and I'm not listening. No, no, no. I think this is going to be a great thing, right? You, you ever do that? You ever been with somebody you shouldn't be with? That's a laser disc decision right there. <laughs> I'm telling you, you ever buy that car and you're like, I can't afford that car. I have four kids, but maybe I do need a two seater, right? <laughs> you went laser disc on that one. Right? We've all done that. Right? You ever, you ever walk down the aisle and you're like, hey, Twinkies are back. I should buy those. That's Laserdisc. All right? That's, I'm, I'm telling you, that, that's, that's what happens. And I, I keep this in my office. In fact, before I came here, I actually had to go to my office to get it because I keep it within arm's distance of my desk to remind me that apart from God, all I make are Laserdisc decisions. All right? But, you know, when we can allow God to lead us, when we can allow God to be our shepherd and then we show up where there's provision, where there's water, where there's green pastures, people say, wow, you're so wise. What happened? You say, here's what, here's, you, you want to know what wisdom is? Listen, just, just following what God wants me to do. Um, the Bible says it this way in Psalm 37. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Listen, God offers to us his guidance, his wisdom, his presence, and our job is simply to follow his voice and heed where it is that he's telling us to do. Verse 4 says this of Psalm 23. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. And that is that I will trust God regardless of my circumstances. That's the second declaration that David makes in this psalm. The first is that he's going to step out regardless of how he's feeling. The second is that he's going to trust God regardless of the circumstances. You know why David says that he talks about the valley of the shadow of death? Because early in his life, he was still a shepherd when he went into the scariest valley he ever went in. It was called the Valley of Elah, where he fought Goliath. Where David went into the valley, able to stand in front of a giant who was nine feet tall, fully armed with sword, spear, and armor, and David had a sling and five stones. You say, well, how exactly does that work out? And listen, David was convinced that God was with him. See, when when Goliath told him that I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air, David says to him, he says, uh, which I, I love, he says, you come against me with a sword and a spear. And with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts. And listen, whom you have defied in this day, right? I love what he says, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. He didn't even have a sword and he was already talking about decapitation. All right? And, uh, and he says, but he says that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
this day. Why? It was in the valley that people were going to know that there was a God in Israel. You see, could it be that that's why he could be confident that God was with him in the midst of the valleys in life? That he could have peace? That he could say, your rod and your staff comfort me uh, because of his experience in the valley? Now, the rod, uh, or, or I should say the staff of a shepherd, uh, you've probably seen it. It was about six feet tall, and it had kind of a, a crooked top to it, kind of like a hook on top. And, and the reason for that is that somebody's got to get that. We'll wait. There, thank you. And uh, I'll tell him I'll call him back. Uh, but what happens is this. That it would have this hook, and the reason is, is because whenever a shepherd uh, would see a sheep wander off, he would just take that that. Uh, staff, and he would just, you know, wrap it around the shepherd, the, the sheep's body, and just pull him back in. So when he says it comforts me, it's because, hey, God, guess what? You're not going to let me go that far, are you? Because if I'm one of your sheep, if I start to wander off, you're going to always pull me back in. The rod was different. The rod was actually a weapon. The rod th- that he said was actually it was a thing about two feet, and it was uh, that shepherds learned from childhood how to throw this with pinpoint accuracy. And so uh, if they saw an, a, you know, a, a predatory animal coming against the sheep, they would take out the rod, which was, once again, about two feet. Imagine kind of like a nightstick. But it, you'd be able, they could throw this thing and with accuracy could hit an animal and, and, and knock it out and they, so that they could uh, protect their sheep. If you have a Latin mom, it'd be the equivalent of like a chancleta. So, you know, which is, uh, if you're not, if you don't speak Spanish, uh, that the chancleta is basically like a, uh, a slipper, except it has magical powers. And, uh, because it can, it can turn corners and then it's like a boomerang. Cause you can get hit with one. And then it's like, you know, when you're, when they're done, I do not understand how that works, but it works. Uh, and, <laughs> but the, so what happens is the rod says this, the, 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 the staff says, God, you're not going to let me go too far because I'm one of your sheep. The rod says, God, I know that you're going to protect me even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. So listen, it doesn't matter the valley that you might be in. You know why? Because he's with you. Uh, when we went to Disney World, uh, I guess it was about it was a few months ago, six, four or five months ago, um, Xander, we, we wanted, I want to take Xander on the Toy Story Mania ride, which I think is the best ride in all four Disney parks is the Toy Story Mania ride at Hollywood Studios. And Xander was a little bit scared. And he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go. And, and I'm like, Xander, it is a lot of fun. Your sister loves going on it. Uh, your mom loves going on it. I love going on it. Let's go on it. And, and so he's scared. He's not sure if he wants to go. And, and so we're having this, this talk. And I, and I said, listen, I'm going to be with you sitting right next to you. All right? You can even sit on my lap if you want. If, if you want but, I'm, but here's what I know. Oh, I'm going to sit on your lap. Okay, but, but listen. You're going to say that in the beginning, and then you're going to want to sit, and you're going to want to play because I know how competitive you are, and you're going to want to win. So, all right. We go on the ride 15 seconds into it. Dad, this is so much fun. And then by the end of the ride, he's having the time of his life, and he's like, hey, can we go on again? Like, yeah, you know, the wait's only like eight hours. Uh, You know, you just wait there. You know, we'll just wake you up in the morning, and we'll be able to go. Um, But listen, the thing that calms him down is the thing that always calms him down. It's the thing that calms us down. Is when he knows that his dad is with him. And that's the very thing that maybe that's where, that's where you are right now. Is that you say, man, but I'm in, I feel like I'm in the valley. I feel like things aren't going the way that I want them to. I feel like I'm trying to put a couple of steps together and it's not really working out. Uh, listen, can I just tell you something? That he's with you. 
that, listen, it may be the hardest time of your life, but you, you, if, if he's with you, you can't lose. Listen, uh, this week I was talking to somebody, and, and we were having a, it was a kind of a heart-to-heart conversation, and I was telling him, um, saying this to kind of minister to him, but I, I was saying, you know, I was talking about how uh, it was about eight or nine years ago that I was going through a di- really difficult season in my life. Um, and around the, we had a whole bunch of things happen. Carrie's mom died, and things were not going well at the church, and it was just a whole mess of things that were happening. And uh, I just kind of started having like a personal meltdown uh, to the point where I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and, and he said, you know what, you should, um, you should probably go see a counselor. I think it would help you. And so it was a guy that he had gone to talk to when he went through a tough time. And so um, this guy was a pastor for years, and so he kind of understands our insanity. And so I went to go see this guy. And my wife was amazing in this whole time and encouraged me. But this was just a valley in my life. And I just had to walk through this valley with God. Um, And here's the thing is that uh, um, I would, this is the crazy part of the whole thing. And this is what I was telling my friend is that I would never like wish that on anybody. That valley that I went through, I would never wish that on anyone. But yet, that valley that I was in fundamentally changed me. The Bob who stands before you today is very different than the Bob who was, who was there before the valley. In fact, uh, you know, when I, when I was there, um, and I've, I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly, but um, when I, I remember sitting down in his office, and I just sat on this couch, and he said to me, he says, so, Bob, how are you doing? And I just started to cry. And, uh, you know, that wasn't kind of a normal thing for me then. And, um, and I just started talking to him. And, and listen, I live to tell the tale. And, and he said to me, he said, Bob, here's how it works. What we want is for things to get better. But here's, here's how it happens. What feels right now, it feels like death. But see, after death is burial. And then comes resurrection. So I tell you that because you think it's bad now, it's probably going to get a little worse. Because you're going to really identify what it is that's causing all of this and then after death comes burial but then after burial comes resurrection and that's when it all changes and and i tell you all of this um at the risk of being misunderstood but um i'm telling you that to tell you that the life that i live right now would not have been possible had i not gone through the valley and when i was in the valley i'm begging god just take me out of this i just want to snap out of it and i couldn't snap out of it I had to go through the valley of the shadow of death so that I could learn to experience God in a way that like I had never experienced him before. And listen, you know you're holding on to him when he's all you've got. You know you're holding on to him when you're going through the valley and it's like, God, it's just you and me. And you got to get me through this because I don't even, it's, it's, when it's the shadows of death, you don't even know which way is up or which way is in or out. But you're just holding on to him and saying, God, you've got to help me to get through this. But here's what you've got to remember about valleys. Is that valleys are temporary. Valleys aren't eternal. Valleys are just for now. That's why the Bible would say this. That weeping may endure for a night. But guess what? But joy comes in the morning. And listen, you may need to learn that verse and memorize that verse and write it on yourself somewhere. That say, listen, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, that listen, it's going to end. 
God is going to take you out of this. God is going to move you on. It's what I tell people when they have kidney stones. I say, listen, guess what? Here's what the Bible says. It came to pass. (laughs) Hold on to that verse. It came to pass. It's going to be all right. Because valleys don't last forever. They're simply spots that the shepherd has to lead us through to get us where he ultimately wants us to go. And here's, uh, here, here's, let me give you verse 5 and 6, and then I want to share this third declaration that David makes. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy you'll follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the third declaration that he makes, and that is that I will declare God's blessing on my life. I'll declare God's blessing on my life. This is what David, the psalmist, says at the end of the psalm. He just starts saying, listen, God, you're going to do good things. The goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Now, let me say this, if I can, because there's like, there's, this is important to say. Whenever I, I talk about this, it's like I always feel like I'm walking around landmines because there's a lot of uh, weird teaching out there that talks about, like, you know, the power of our words, you create reality with your words that, you know, and this whole kind of like, there's this whole uh, stream of theology, it's called name it and claim it, or as I like to call it, blab it and grab it. Um, they, um, where you got to tell God what, you tell God whatever you want, and because you said it, now God has to do it. As if somehow God is the servant and we are the master. Let me tell you how it works. God is the master and we are the servant. He says and we do, right? And that's the way it works. Now, but let me tell you what the Bible teaches about the power of our words. Um, we solidify what we believe about God with the things that we say. We believe, uh, we solidify what we believe about ourselves with the things that we say. That people who just consistently speak negatively about themselves, let me just tell you how it works, usually don't amount to much in life. Why? Because their words become a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's why parents who talk down to their kids and, and say hurtful things to the kids, oh, my kids know I'm just joking. They don't. And that's why the kids eventually start believing those things about themselves. And so listen, the power of our words isn't just making stuff up and then praying that it's true, thinking God now has to do it. No, here's what the power of our words are. It's in learning what the Bible says about us. Learning what the Bible says about God and then speaking those things into our lives and reminding ourselves if we've forgotten. You know, one of the things that we can learn in these final two verses is that God wants to bless the sheep who follow him. They want to bless the sheep who follow him. He says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That God, uh, even when there's uh, conflict, God is still providing and showing that God is blessing. He, their cup runs over. It talks about that, there's, uh, that God blesses us in a way that we might be a blessing to other people. But I just love how David, even he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. See, he just talks about the valley of the shadow of death. So it's not that things are going to be perfect all the time. But he's saying, listen, even in that, the outcome, it's going to be good. And listen, sometimes you've just got to talk to yourself. And you've got to remind yourself of the things that are true. And I hear people say, oh, you know, it's okay to talk to yourself, but don't answer yourself. Sometimes you've got to answer yourself and rattle your own cage. If three or four other people get involved in that conversation with yourself, call a medical professional. (laughs) However, sometimes you just got to rattle your own cage because you just start believing things or you some like some thought comes into your mind. It's just not true. 
I mean, I, I was driving this week and something was really bothering me this week. And I was just upset about it. I'm driving by myself. And um, I, it's, it's, I was just so annoyed. And, and, and uh, to the point where I get to a stoplight and I just, I, I'm not even kidding you. Because I, I, I get in the car and I roll my windows down and I, I turn on some music. And then, like, I'm just so bothered by it. I turn off the music and I just start talking. And I, I realize I'm talking loud. So I'm at the stoplight and I'm like, Bob, it's time to get over it. I said that, and I'm like, you got to get over yourself and move on with your life, dude. You're a pastor. Get a grip. Now, I said that. I said that out loud to myself. The thing is, I didn't realize I had a stoplight and the windows were down. And so, like, people in cars are looking over. And, I, and you know, I, and I'm like, Bluetooth, Bluetooth. You know, I, I didn't really know what else to say. I, di- I didn't know. Because um, the thing is, is that, you know, you know, you know how that works. Like, you know, you ever see people in, in Publix and they, they're, they're talking like, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I got to go to the store. I got to get that at the store. And, and like, oh, more, oh, no. I'm on the same aisle with them. And then you see the Bluetooth device. I'm like, oh, whew. I thought they were crazy. But now I don't know. Now I can't really tell the difference between people who have a Bluetooth device and people who are crazy. And so because I don't want to be like, oh, you're char- playing favorites and now i just treat everyone like they're nuts and i just feel like that's fair and uh so anyway but here's what the bible says it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruit my point is this that we need to start believing the things about ourselves that god believes about us we need to start having a view of god that's not distorted and a view and, and, and a view of ourselves that's not equally distorted because this is one of the things that holds us back from becoming everything God wants us to be in life. And I want you to look at what I would love what he says in verse six. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And listen, it's not that only good things happen to me. Only merciful things happen to me. Sometimes bad things are happening. But like, like I was telling you before, sometimes you go through the valley of the shadow of death and you come out the other side and you say, man, I would never want to go through that again. But what happened through that? Changed my life. And so it was a good thing, even though the process wasn't good, the outcome was good. That's why the Bible would say this, Joseph, at the end of his life, after all the things that happened, after being sold into slavery by his brothers and wrongfully accused of rape and uh, thrown into prison for two years, he ends up being the second most powerful person in Egypt, most powerful outside of Pharaoh. And he's able to save his family from famine and sure death. And then they get, he gets to the end of his life, and here's what he says in Genesis 50. He says, but as for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is to this day, and to save many people alive. You see, maybe that's where you are today. You're in the valley of the shadow of death, and you're going through a difficult season. And, and listen, we could be tempted to think, you see, if God really loved me, he would take this problem away. Maybe you've got some, something physically that's bothering you and, and, and we're tempted to think, well, if God really loved me, he would take this pain away. You're in a tough season in your marriage and, and we, might, we might only secretly say this, but we'd say, if God loved me, he would just take this person away. And I could just start over and things would be better. Listen, we've got to stop lying to ourselves. We've got to stop poisoning our mind with thoughts that aren't true. We've got to start believing the truths of God, that God loved us so much that he was willing to send his son to this world to die for us.
And if you want, listen, if you desire, if your goal, if the thing that you really want is resurrection in your life, there has to be death and burial. It's just the way it is. You see, the problem is that we've been conditioned differently. Real life isn't like TV where everything gets wrapped up in 45 minutes. Real life is a lot messier than that. Real life is tougher than that. Real life challenges us. Real life drives us to the brink at times. But you know what happens? What gets us through the valley of the shadow of death is knowing that there is a shepherd that we can trust. A shepherd who gave his life for us. Who loves us more than we even love ourselves. Think about that phrase for a second. That God loves you more even than you love yourself. Because you know what we'll do? We'll actually take the shortcut at times to make it easier in the moment, even though it'll make it harder for the rest of our lives. See, God doesn't do that. He doesn't shortchange us. He wants goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. So he'll say, hey, we got to go through the valley now because there's goodness and mercy that's on its way. And sometimes we'll say, well, I'm going to do this thing that will bring some immediate relief, but it will extend that valley for way longer than it needs to be. My encouragement to you, my, my prayer for you, my hope for you is that we would follow him like a shepherd does. Like a sheep follows his shepherd. Like the disciples in John chapter 6 when Jesus gave a tough teaching and everybody walked away. And then he turned to the disciples and he said, are you going to go too? And here's what they said, where are we going to go? You're the only one who has the words of life. That's my prayer for you. That's my hope for you. Wherever you are, whatever season you are, that you would look on and that you would say, God, I'm going to follow you. You're the shepherd. I'm the sheep. And I'm going to go where you lead me. I'm going to listen for your voice. As to whether it's go to the left or go to the right, I'm going to follow you. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for God being our shepherd. Thank you for not leaving us alone in the dark seasons and for even um, just leaving us in the good times. But God, that you're with us always, no matter what, you're with us. And God, we need you now. Some of us are going through tough seasons. Some of us, Lord, um, we've walked away. We need your staff to draw us back, to bring us back close to you. So God, my hope, is that you would do a work in this place at this time with this, your people. We're looking for you to do great things right now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When I was in Israel several years ago, I was able to see a shepherd and his sheep. In fact, the shepherd was this kid. He couldn't have been more than 12 years old. And it was amazing because I always had this picture of the, sheep, the shepherd out in front and then all the sheep following him. Or then I thought, well, maybe if not, it was the sheep, the sheep were out in front and the shepherd was behind them, uh, kind of making sure that there were no stragglers. But you know what I saw? I, it was what I never expected to see. What I saw was a shepherd and the sheep were all around him. He was right in the midst, in the middle of his flock. And You see, when one would wander off, he would simply make a noise. He would just go make this. 
he would make this little noise and then the, when the one started wandering off he would hear the, the voice of the shepherd and then he would come back into this sheepfold as they walked from where they were to where the shepherd was taking them. Listen, can I just tell you something that some of you uh, are here today and, and you've wandered from God. You've decided to go your own way and, and it hasn't really worked out. And sometimes we can wander off and then things don't work out very well and we start asking ourselves, I mean, is there really, is there hope? And we start thinking maybe there isn't hope. And listen, that's not true. There is hope. If you can still hear my voice, then listen, there's hope. Because here's what Jesus said. He said this in John chapter 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Because my friend, God wants to be your shepherd. He wants to lead you. He wants to love you. He wants to give you life. Listen, in my life, I wandered for 19 years. And I didn't, found, I didn't find life. But I was honest, you know what I found? I found death. That's what I found. I found frustration. I found anxiety. And, and you know, I, I watched friends who we were all kind of trying to figure it out. And friends who gave themselves over to addictions and other friends who gave themselves to ending their own lives prematurely. You know, I, I watched, I watched myself put all my hopes in something. I was in a band and we were on a verge of a record deal and this was the big thing because here's what I thought it wasn't about making music it was about the fact that I could get a record deal and I would, I would be able to validate my own existence say see I'm important see I have worth see I have value because of that and you know what I found when I was on the verge of that of everything that I had worked for for the last seven years kind of as a kid from 13 now to almost 20 I'm saying hey we're going to do this um Here's what I found. I expected to find happiness, fulfillment, and accomplishment. And here's what I found. Disappointment and emptiness. Because there's nothing worse than getting to the top of the ladder and realizing it's leaning up against the wrong wall. But then I learned something because at the age of 19, I came to know Jesus. And I had this, you know, somewhat of, I went to parochial school and I knew stuff about God, but I didn't really know God. I didn't know that God wanted to be my shepherd. I didn't know that God wanted to walk with me and lead me and guide me. And see, in my life where I had found emptiness and death, I came to know Jesus and I found an empty tomb and a resurrection. I'm going to ask everyone in the house to stand if you would. And listen, Jesus rose from the dead after they crucified him. They thought it was game over. And he, and he came out of the grave because he was alive. And I want to tell you something, that Jesus wants to give you life, and he wants to give you life right now. And some of us, listen, some of us, we're, but yeah, I'm a Christian, but I've just kind of wandered off. Then now is the time, today is the day to say, God, I need to stop. I need you to pull me back in. I need you to lead me back. That God wants to give you a real life not existence, not just simply breathing air, not simply taking up space but he wants to give you a life that's eternal that we can just kind of wander through life and live with the emptiness that most people have felt or we can decide to stand up today and say, you know what, I'm not going to live one more day like this 
I'm not going to live one more day feeling like this. I'm not going to live one more day wandering like this. Instead, here's what I'm going to do. The Lord, you're going to be my shepherd. Uh, You're the one that I'm going to follow. And even if I am in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear anything because I know that you're with me. I know that you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. And even now, when I've wandered off, you're calling me back. Because my friend, God is calling you back to be with him. Because he wants to love you. Because he wants to forgive you. Because he wants to transform your life. He wants to take away that separation that you feel. The guilt that you feel. The shame that you feel. The embarrassment that you feel. All that stuff. He wants to take that away from you. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to love you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to remind you how good he is. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity. Like that sheep that I saw in Israel that had wandered off. And the shepherd called him and he came back. I'm going to give you an opportunity. In a moment, you're, uh, you're already standing. I'm going to invite you to take a few steps and meet me right here. And if you say, I want to come back, I want to be forgiven, I want to know God, I don't want to wander anymore, I want to find life. I want Him to lead me. If I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I want Him to lead me through it because there's goodness and mercy that are going to follow me. Listen, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. If you're just coming to Jesus, if you're coming back to him, say, God, I'm coming back. Meet me here. We're going to meet here, you and I, and we're going to pray together. And we're going to see God do an amazing work in your life. Whether you're up top, whether you're here at the bottom on the sides, whether you're in the uh, parent-child room, I want you to grab that baby, grab that stroller, and meet us here. And we're going to pray together. God is going to meet you here. God's going to do a work in your life. Now's your moment. Take a step, George, lead us.